Isaiah 55, 1 through 9. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and, the, and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you. I ask this morning especially that you give me clarity, clarity of mind and speech, that the good news of your word here would be clear to us and that we would be drawn into your life and your offer of rest and satisfaction. Help us to see Jesus with more clarity than we have before. Help us to cling to him and to walk in the way that he offers to us. We pray this in Christ's name and by uh, his spirit. Amen. So why, why are we so restless and hungry? even though we have more than ever. I mean, think about that. We live in a time with more abundance than most times in the history of the world by far, more resources, more food, more technology to make life easier. Um, but why are we so restless? Why are we so hungry? More so than probably anyone ever before us. You know, we're bombarded um, all the time with options, with sales, with entertainment. Um, and there are many, many, many companies and social media companies and corporations that are competing for our money and for our attention. And I think that's because they understand something about our human condition, which is that our desires are endless, aren't they? We have more than ever before, and yet we want more and more and more. And they get that. They see that our desires are endless, and they capitalize on that. They're constantly holding out to us newer, more things, better things. Look at this life you could have. Be involved. In and, and we're drawn to that because our desires are endless. And yet, even as we consume more and more, we just find ourselves more restless 
more tired and, uh, and more weary, right? That getting and consuming takes a lot of effort. We have to work for a lot of the things. We have to have the money that we need to get these things. We have to get our lives in order so we can go on that trip and do that thing. I mean, it, it takes a lot of effort and a lot of work to keep consuming all the time. And these obligations of that work uh, weigh us down and, uh, and, and they, they become burdens on us. And yet we keep striving to get more and more. We're looking for satisfaction of these endless desires. And when we're living that way, we begin to see God as a hindrance and as a burden and as an obstacle or as an obligation that gets in the way of us pursuing the things that we are seeking for satisfaction. We've been looking at God in the book of Isaiah and uh, looking at what I, Isaiah calls him more than anything else, the Holy One of Israel. And so we've, we've tried to examine how Isaiah uh, portrays the attributes of God and the character of God and even talks about how God relates to us. Um, and so this series has been examining all those different sort of dimensions of who God is so that uh, we can have a renewed vision of, of what and who God is. That's been the goal. And so today, as we're thinking about this endless pit of desires that we are and how God begins to seem like an obstacle or a hindrance um, or an obligation, I, I want us to reflect on what Isaiah says about him today in this passage in Isaiah 55. And I, I got to be honest today, I've really struggled with how to frame this whole sermon. So I hope this comes off as clear to you all. Um, but I'm trying to get at today this idea of how is it that God relates to us? And that, that seems so vague. So Here's what I'm trying to, to get at. Um, God seems demanding very often. We look at him and he seems demanding. Um, the Bible is full of commands, isn't it, right? I mean, you can read it. They're all over the place. We read a bunch of them, his law. You know, he, he's got all these commands. He demands things of us. We see God gets mad in the Bible. We've seen that in Isaiah. And yet God is also kind and compassionate and generous. And so we live in this tension. You know, what? which one is it? How does God relate to us? Is he mad? Is he, is he kind? Which one is it? Um, and of course, there's the wrong answer to that that we hear all the time. Well, in the Old Testament, God is that wrathful and judgmental and all that. In the New Testament, he's loving and kind of Jesus. Well, that, that doesn't work. That's not right at all. Um, but how do we put this together? Because the way we answer this question, how God relates to us, it has a huge impact on how we view God and how we relate to him, but also how we relate to one another. So how do we understand God's, God's posture toward us, his relation to us? And that's the framing I'm trying to kind of look at today. Um, you know, think about if you, uh, if you kind of turn a corner, you're walking down the street, you turn a corner, and you see this person yell, stop, to somebody. You know, you have no context for what just happened. Very different sorts of things could be going on there, right? Uh, it could be that this person is um, threatening someone, you know, like, knock it off or I'm going to fight you sort of thing. But they could also be yelling because they're trying to stop someone from walking into the street when they're about to get hit by a car. And the, the frame, the context says everything about how we hear that yell, that stop. And I think that's important when we think about God, too, because sometimes he yells. You know, sometimes he commands. How do we hear that? What's the frame for that? That's what I want us to explore today. And I think our passage provides us with a lot of what we need to understand how God relates to us. So I want to kind of do a quick survey of the passage, and then I want to talk about God's invitation and God's challenge, all right? So quickly, um, what is going on in Isaiah 55? Let me, let me look at this with you. 
Isaiah 55 comes at the end of the second section in Isaiah. I've talked about the first 39 chapters are Isaiah's ministry to the kings of Judah, and there are four of them, and um, they're dealing with this crisis of Assyria coming and being a threat to the northern kingdom and also to the southern kingdom. And essentially, Isaiah warns them of judgment. They don't really listen. And so um, at the end of that comes this um, this disaster, the judgment of God comes upon Israel. And then in 40 through 55, um, it jumps ahead to God speaking to Israel when they will be in exile in Babylon. The judgment of God comes, the northern kingdom is taken off. Later, the southern kingdom is taken off to Babylon. And this part of Isaiah is actually God speaking early on to this community as they are in exile in Babylon. And he begins to mention this figure uh, he offers this word of hope, and he, and he mentions this figure, this suffering servant, who is going to uh, restore Israel and rescue them through his own suffering, um, who's going to return and lead Israel back into the promised land out of exile, this suffering servant. And chapter 55 comes at the very end of this section, um, and, and it ends this section with a promise of return from exile and this call to respond to God's promise of restoration. And so in chapter 55, it begins... Um, and, and there's this imagery at play where God is sort of functioning like a vendor in the marketplace. Um, and so he's calling out to anyone that will listen, and he's inviting them to do business with him. And so look at verse 1 in chapter 55. He says, uh, come. Actually, that first word, come, there is actually more like the word behold. Like, look, hey, pay attention to me. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come Buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. This is a very strange vendor. He's, he's inviting people to do business with him. He's telling them to come and buy. He's calling out for their attention. But um, he's a different sort of vendor, right? He's, he's saying, if you are thirsty, if you're longing, if you're restless, if you're unsatisfied, he's saying, come and do business with me, right? Remember, Israel is in exile, and, and they really embody the human condition. They are a people who are longing and hurting for satisfaction. They've been enslaved by Babylon, and so they're thirsty and hungry in a, in a sort of metaphorical sort of way. They have a longing for a different life. And God is calling out to them and inviting them and everyone to come to him to buy without money. Now, how do you do that? How do you come and do business with a vendor and you don't bring any money? Right? And this is intentionally an unexpected call. That's, that's the point of this image. It's disturbing. It's disruptive from what we expect. Vendors sell. That's what they do. They're, they're in it for some sort of profit. Uh, when, I, um, when I go to Costco and I'm just trying to do my shopping and some guy is talking to me about a cell phone plan, right? Or you go to the mall and there's these people in these little kiosks trying to get your attention. Hey, how's it going today? And you just know that's not a genuine desire for relationship. <laughs> they are trying to get to a sale, right? Vendors, there's always a catch, you know, free t-shirts. Why? You know, what, what do I have to give you? What are you after here? It's your information, right? Vendors are always after some sort of profit, but God says, come, even if you have nothing and do business with me, you don't need money, buy and eat. You don't need money. Come and, and buy this. There's no price, what God is saying here, he's like a vendor inviting people to do business with him, and yet they don't have to bring anything at all. Verse 2, he says, why do you spend your money 
for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. He's making his sales pitch now. Why should you do business with him? He's saying, well, let me ask you something. You're spending all this money. How's that working out for you? You're putting in the time. You're spending what you have. You're laboring for bread that isn't bread. You're you're buying things that aren't going to satisfy you. And he says, listen to me. I have what you really need. Incline your ear. Come to me here that your soul may live. There's a parallelism here. Listen and come to me here. Why? Come to me means your soul will live. God is saying that if you come to him, you will find the satisfaction that you have been seeking. Israel is in exile because they have been turning to idols. They've been trusting in false gods. They've been worshiping him. They've been conformed to those images. They've been living in injustice and they were sent into exile. They sought life and created things and it only led to emptiness and exile. And so God is saying, come to me and I will give you life and it will cost you Nothing. You don't have to buy anything. You don't have to bring anything. In verse 6, there's a sort of a different image going on. And here God is calling Israel to return to him. He's talking to them as if they're walking down a path. And they're walking down a path of destruction. And in verse 6, he says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. There's this free offer to turn around on the path and to come back. Now, it's a limited time offer right? Kind of like a vendor again. This is not a deal that's going to last forever. He says, um, seek him while he is near, while he may be found. And he says, let the wicked forsake his way. That's his road, his path, and the unrighteous man, his thoughts, right? The wicked and unrighteous. That's Israel. That's how they've been living. That's you and I. And he's saying, forsake that way. Change, turn around. Don't keep going down those paths. They're not going to lead you to satisfaction in life, He says, let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. This is an invitation to find life, knowing that there is compassion, there is mercy, there is pardon for all that we've done wrong. Return to the Lord. And so this is a call to repentance. So what we see in this passage are two things. We see God inviting us to himself. And we also see God challenging us and Israel to change. There's an invitation to find life. It's free. But that is fundamentally the context in which he issues his challenge to repent, to turn around. Repentance is not payment. It's not exchange. That would totally go against everything he said in the invitation. It is a letting go of what we're holding on to so that we can grab hold of God. Israel has turned to all these false gods, just like you and I do, to find life, security, happiness, belonging, pleasure, satisfaction, meaning, identity. And, and he's saying, let go of that and grab hold of me. Invitation and challenge. And he's saying this to a people who are living restless lives, just like you and I. And our restless lives, just like Israel, are costly and they are unsatisfying. So I want us to dig into these two things, the invitation and the challenge of God. So so let's look more at this invitation of God, God's invitation to us. And I want us to think about, again, who is God? What does this show us about who God is? 
What is he like? And I, I want to highlight three things that stand out in this passage in God's invitation. Um, the first is that God is inviting us to himself. That, that ultimately, what is God promising us? He is promising us himself. He's saying, come to me. Why? What am I getting? You're getting me. That's what he's saying. Come to me. It's about connecting with him, knowing him intimately, right? It, think of this food metaphor he's using in, in these verses. He's talking about taking God in and, and eating and drinking of God so that we are satisfied. That's what God is inviting us to, to come to him personally, to listen to him, to take in his words, and to be satisfied in the offer of himself. And that's the second point I want us to see, is that this is all about God satisfying us. Note the contrast in this passage. We're buying and we're laboring for that which is not bread, for that which cannot satisfy. Our lives are characterized by a striving and a seeking to eat and drink of all sorts of things that will never satisfy us, right? I mean, some liquids make you thirstier when you drink them, right? Uh, I think... I think coffee's that way, tea, probably soda, definitely salt water. <laughs> you drink that and you're just going to get more thirsty. And, and what God is saying is, is that our life is characterized by that. We're constantly running to consume things that are only going to make us hungrier, thirstier, more restless, more tired. It's like, uh, same with food. You can eat some things and it just makes you hungrier, like cotton candy. <laughs> it's delicious and it leaves you empty and being thirsty and hungry for more. It's totally unsatisfying. And God is like a meal that satiates us, that, that puts you into that post-Thanksgiving meal coma, satisfied, oh, resting. God offers himself to us. He is satisfying. And then thirdly, this is all a gift. This is all from a generous God, right? It requires absolutely no payment. He says that in verse one. If you have no money, come and do business with me, he says. You can only come if you've got nothing to bring. It doesn't require any spending. It doesn't require any labor. Why do you spend on things? Why do you labor on things that don't satisfy, he asks. He says, what I have is a gift to you. Now, Friends, none of this is, is new in the story of the Bible. When we jump into Isaiah 55 here, this is not a new teaching, right? This is baked into creation itself. This is the Christian understanding of what God is like. God is Trinity. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, this community of persons living a life of love and joy forever. That's how God exists in fullness and creation is this overflow, it is this generous gift of God's life and love and joy. God made us out of an overflow. We exist because of gift. And we were made to know this God and be satisfied in Him. But how do we tend to look at God? We tend to look at God as not a host of a meal, but as a vendor who has some agenda to make a profit off of us. And this is why we get into these ways of relating to God where we bargain with him. 
or we mentally keep track of our record and think about how we doing with God and oh, I feel bad. I haven't been doing what I'm supposed to. I better get back to it or else God's going to be unhappy with me. And we're trying to stay in the black all the time. And we promise God things in exchange for blessing, right? Because fundamentally what our problem is, is that we want to be in control. We want to be God. We want to save ourselves. We want to be in control of how our life goes. And so we treat God as someone we have to negotiate with to get satisfaction. And Isaiah shows us God is not like that at all. It doesn't work that way. God offers himself to us without price to be satisfied in him. That's the invitation. But there's also a challenge. And we have to look at that too. God's challenge there are demands. God does get angry, as I said earlier. And, and what, what is that all about? Well, these are calls to repentance. Let me, let me point three things that stand out in these verses. God warns us regularly of the danger of the ways that we're living our lives. Our way is wicked, he says in verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way. You've you got to turn around. You're going towards destruction. We need to be saved from our own way. That's why he says in verse 6 um, that we have to call upon him while he is near. Calling out is, like I said last week, is, is a call for God to rescue us from something we can't save ourselves from. So God warns us of danger. That's a regular thing we see in Scripture. But also, God, in warning us, calls us to adopt a better way. We see this in verses 8 and 9. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are or not your ways, as far as heaven is above earth, so are my ways above yours. So that's a verse, a lot of us have heard that, and we often associate that with saying that God's beyond our comprehension, and um, you know his thoughts are higher. And that's, that is definitely true, that's biblical. But I think actually in these verses, what God is saying is, is you have adopted a way of being that is base and destructive. My ways are higher. If you adopt my ways of living, these are better. These are far superior than the way that you're living your life. And your thoughts, the way you think about your life, is far inferior to my thoughts. And so he's saying, adopt this better way of life, right? Your ways bring emptiness, he's saying. And my ways bring fullness. Your, your ways will only bring loneliness in your life. My ways will bring connection. Your ways are going to bring exhaustion, he says, but my ways bring rest. Your ways are ultimately going to bring death, but mine is going to bring life everlasting. And then the third thing we see about this is that God will not keep challenging us forever. God will not keep challenging us forever. He says, seek the Lord while he may be found. This is a free offer to come to him, and yet there is a time limit on this. God offers life, but he's not going to continue just constantly calling us to change and to turn around if we do not um, listen to him and receive this free gift that he's offering to us. He honors our resistance, so to speak, right? I mean, if you've ever had to deal with somebody who is just deep in addiction and you keep trying to work with them, there's a point where you have to say, I, I have to let you continue on your way. I'm not going to keep harping on this. I'm not going to keep trying to um, encourage you and invite you into new way of life and to get help. That's, that's how God is. Eventually, he lets us go on our way. And this, too, is um, baked into our understanding of creation. God is full of life and joy and overflows in this gift of creation. But God doesn't need us. That's, that's basic to this doctrine. God does not need us. He is full. He made us to grow up into maturity for our good. He doesn't create us out of some need for himself. He created us so that we would grow up into fullness and maturity and enjoy life with him. He's not going um, to contend with us forever. 
And this is all over scripture. The thing is, we typically view God not um, as challenging us for our good, but we see God as challenging us because he's controlling and he's got ulterior, ulterior motives. That's how we tend to look at God, right? Yesterday I was coaching soccer and I, I said, I pulled one of my players uh, off, the, uh, off the pitch and um, he needed a rest. And I said, hey, go get some water. He said, I don't have water. I was like, oh, why don't you have water? He says, I don't need water. <laughs> and I was like, what? and he was mad that I encouraged him to get water, you know? And I, and I was just like, this makes no sense. Like, what do I have? What, what, what do I have in this? Like, I'm, I'm saying you get water for your good. And he's just, oh, I don't need that. Right. And to me, and it's just a kid, but like, we do that all the time with God. You know, he's like, don't do this. This is bad for you. Don't live this way. It's bad for you. Oh, you know, God. And I didn't mean that as an expletive. I mean, like, why? You know, exasperated with him. Um, and, and you know, I'm not a perfect dad, and, and I definitely have selfish motives, but this happens in parenting, right? Like, you know, we, we put the kids down to bed because they need the sleep. It's good for their brain, and they need the, if they're going to have a good day. And, you know, I don't want to go to sleep, right? And eat this food. It's going to be good for you. Ah, you know, and, and we come across as if we, we have these selfish motives, and it's like, why do you view me this way? I'm, I'm seeking your good. And that's, that's how it is with God as well. Um, we want to go our own way. We don't want to grow up because we're bent. And we, we want to find satisfaction in the things we want to find satisfaction in. And so we just rebel against God. And we want to live independently from him. And we imagine God's challenges to that way of life as um, somehow selfish on his part. But he doesn't need us. He's not doing it for his own good. He's doing it for us. And so Isaiah shows us that God's challenge to us to turn around, to run from our destructive paths are for our good. He's calling us to repentance so that we don't ruin ourselves and other people and the good world that he made. So let me return to the question I asked earlier. Why are we so restless and hungry even though we have more than we've ever had before? Now, no doubt, some of our restlessness and our tiredness comes from the fact that we live in a broken world. That, I don't want to diminish that. That's really important I say that. If you are feeling overwhelmed today and exhausted, it, it could very well be because you're dealing with just the brokenness of the world. And it's got nothing to do with your choices or how you're living. People hurt us. Life is hard. Um, that, that's, that's a given, okay? But a lot of our restlessness... A lot of our thirsting, a lot of our hunger comes from the fact that we're looking for satisfaction in all the wrong things, and it calls us to live in a way that ends up exhausting us and leaving us empty. And if we don't take that seriously, and we always say, well, it's just a hard world, we're going to view God as if he's just some mean, pesky obstacle, instead of seeing that God is inviting us into life. Um. I think this fits here. Y'all, a lot of you have seen Harry Potter and one of the um, books, Dumbledore has to drink this. Uh, it's basically a poison. Um, and he has to drink this whole basin. And the more you drink of it, the, um, the more delirious you get. And I think the thirstier you get, like it doesn't quench your thirst. It makes him ravenous, right? And it, it just, it, uh, it kind of undoes him. It's a pretty disturbing scene. But to me, that kind of reminded me of just how we all live our lives. You know, we, we go to, to drink of things and we pursue ways of life, but it only makes us like crazy. 
and delirious and empty and thirstier than we were before. We're like children that won't go to bed when we're exhausted and won't eat the right food, won't drink the water because we want to go drink the ocean water. And it's like, this is not going to satisfy us, right? Deep down, our desires are infinite because they were meant to be satisfied in God who is infinite. We can't ever be satisfied in things that God has made. We're supposed to enjoy his world, but always ordered under our ultimate enjoyment of, who, of God himself. That is why he says, come to me. I am offering myself to you. Turn around and drink and eat of me. In verse 3 of this passage, um, he talks about this covenant that he makes, this eternal covenant with Israel. He says, incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. If you know the Bible story, you know that God promised King David that he would establish his throne forever, that he would give a son that would bring rest to God's people. And his son named Solomon means rest, brings Israel into a time of rest, which obviously didn't endure because Isaiah is writing his book. But there was a son that came one day, the son of David, Jesus Christ. And he is ultimately the one uh, that, that offers us this life. God comes to us and offers us life in Jesus. And that's why Jesus comes on the scene in the New Testament and he says, I'm the living water. I'm the bread of heaven. I'm the one that can give you rest. God comes into the world in Jesus, challenging our empty ways. And in Jesus, inviting us to be satisfied. Right? John 6, I'm the bread of life. If you eat of me, you're not going to hunger again. John 7, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Matthew 11, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. John 17, Jesus is praying. This is eternal life, that you know you, that, that they know you, the only one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life, satisfying life, is knowing God through Jesus Christ. And in order to... Um, receive this free gift. God didn't just come into the world, but Jesus actually bore our sin and the destructive consequences of this endless searching for satisfaction that we all constantly engaged in. And he goes to the cross where he thirsted, where he was weary to the point of death. And even on the cross, he called out to be saved and the father did not answer him. He gave his life and purchased us so that we can come to God and not have to buy. He spent his whole life so we can come and buy without price. He gave up his glory so, as Isaiah says, we would be glorified. The point that I'm trying to get at this morning is that we must see God as fundamentally invitational to us. Fundamentally, God is, is inviting us in to drink of him, to know him, to walk with him, to find our rest in him. Because it's the only way to live that will not leave us in death. And it is freely offered to us. But God never leaves us where we are because how can he? Where we are is a way of death. We have this fundamentally distorted view of God that is either God is all invitation and no challenge, right? God loves everybody. It's just this big open arms, but he doesn't, he doesn't call anyone to change. And that can't be who God is because only God can satisfy. If he doesn't call people to change, we just continue in the ways of death. Other people think of God primarily as this challenge. It's this overbearing, controlling, you better obey, do it this way. And there's no invitation to know God and to drink of his life. There's no intimacy. And Jesus shows us both of these are problematic. He invites us to himself and he challenges our empty ways. It's all over his ministry. 
Come to me, forsake your way, repent. The kingdom of God is here. It's all there, invitation and challenge. So what do we do with this today? Well, uh, a couple of things. First and foremost, uh, what I'm hoping we do today is we have a renewed vision of who God is where we see him as fundamentally inviting us to himself, not out of need, but because he wants what's best for us and for his world. God is fundamentally inviting. He's a host. He's throwing a banquet. He wants you there, but you have to turn around and come through the door. You got to come to him to find life. And the way you do that is you come to Jesus in faith, right? That's, that's the fundamental message of Christianity that God offers himself to us in the person of Jesus. We trust in him so that all our destructive ways are paid for. He pardons us. He shows compassion and we have life in him through faith and faith alone. We don't buy it. We don't earn it. We don't do anything to deserve it. So that's the, that's the primary thing I want you to hear today is you've got to come to Jesus, okay, and faith. But there's more to it than that because this is something we do initially, but I also want us to see that our weariness comes because we have to regularly come to Jesus. He, he, inv- he says, um, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. What does he mean when he's saying that? He's saying, I'm inviting you into a way of life with me that will not create a hurried and restless and empty striving in your life. And in order to do that, we have to slow down and spend time with God and grow in our knowledge of God, and be in the presence of God, and attend to his presence, right? And that is why um, we're given all these practices in the Christian life to attend to God's presence. What does that look like? It means things like solitude, and silence, and Sabbath, and meditation on scripture. These practices that we're given are not meant to be a burden to you or some way that you merit God's favor. They are meant to give you life. They're meant to create a way of life where you can find satisfaction on a regular basis so that you aren't hurried and endlessly striving after all sorts of things that will not fill you up. I I hope this gives you a a reimagined idea of the Christian practices that, that a lot of us are familiar with right? Why do we do Bible study? Why do we take time every day to pray? Why do we create margin in our life where we take a day out of the week and we say, I'm not going to fill it with a whole bunch of hurried things. I'm going to spend time with God and his people and I'm going to rest. It's because that is a way of life. The last thing I'll say is that if we see God as someone who invites us, but also challenges us, this is going to change the way we relate to other people. Uh, Because we actually can embody that same Um, invitation and challenge in our lives. And that's hard for us because um, we tend to operate on only one of those registers. Some of us love to be that person who speaks hard truths and can confront people and just put it out there. And we love to just drop it down the hammer and, hey, you do with it what you will. But we don't do a great job of inviting people to connect with us and to experience grace and intimacy. We're strong challenge people. And others are very warm and inviting, and we love to welcome people in, but we do not ever challenge people in their destructive ways. And if God is not like that, then then part of growing into maturity, into who Jesus is, is learning to be a person who both knows how to invite people and to connect with them and to show grace to them, and also to show them the grace of challenging destructive ways of being. It's important in parenting. It's important in friendship. It's important in our work relationships. We need to become people who who know how to invite and also to challenge. And that takes wisdom, but it also takes being grounded 
in the life that God offers us. The Holy One of Israel invites you to come and find life in him for free. He invites you to come to Jesus who gives us life, who quenches our thirst, fills our bellies, gives us rest from our weariness. And there's no better picture of that than in the Lord's table. What is it that God has given us to do every week when we gather as his people? He plays host and he invites us to come to him again and uh, to eat and drink of his promises and to remember that we are his children and to remember that there is coming a day when there will be a feast where we will uh, be in the presence of the Lord forever. All our striving, will we enter into this eternal rest in the presence of God. And so in a moment, I'm going to invite you to come and to, to, um, to put your faith in Jesus and to take his promises deep into you to find life. Let's pray together.